0: prayer time, but one of our favorite odd Baptists was unable to be here tonight uh, because she's going to have surgery tomorrow morning. So Holly, we wanted to let you know we're, we're as a congregation, prayed for you tonight and that we're going to be praying for you tomorrow and for a quick uh, recovery. I'll tell you, as a pastor, um, there's a lot of difficulties in pastoring, you know, but one of the great joys is getting to love people and, as I preach Sunday morning, live life with folks, and Holly's one that... Was pretty much here the time we got here. She was off at college, I think. Would right? I think Holly was in was at PCC, wasn't she, Jen? I think so. Um, Close, but she's she's been all the way from being single to being not single. Having one child and two child and three child and being there for all the births of the kids and it's just an honor. And Jen, Jen and I personally love her very, very much. And matter of fact, I don't know if most of you know Holly. Right? Church wouldn't we wouldn't be quite what we are, whatever that is. <laughs> But if one for Holly. So we either thank her for that or we can blame her for that. That's on you. Um, but but I know for Jen and I, we love her very much. So tomorrow she's going to have surgery. And I wanted to start tonight just with a special word of prayer. Holly would have done this for you in person tonight. I know you're unable to be here. Uh, so I thought this would be the next best thing. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful that uh, during the times and the seasons of our lives that we can come to you. And Lord, I pray tonight as we lift up Holly to you Uh, certainly, um, as you know, every heart and every mind here, I don't need to tell you how much uh, I love her, but I need to tell her that. And so Holly is uh, your friend, your pastor, and um, is uh, the one who represents your church family here. We love you, and God, I'm so thankful that you, Holly, in our lives, thank you for the way she serves you so faithfully here. And God, as she goes through this procedure tomorrow, God, I pray your um, the strength and the precision in the hands of the surgeon. Uh, God, I pray that the desired effect would be accomplished. And Lord, we don't take that for granted. And uh, God, I pray that your grace would be abundant up upon Holly. I'm so thankful that, as you said in Psalm 62, that in God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God that we trust in you at all times and that we pour out our heart before you. So God, I pray for Holly. I pray that she'd be strengthened back up. Pray for Brother Ben in this time where Holly's not uh, able to do as many things as she'd like to do. I pray for strength for him. And also I know Ben's mom will be traveling here. We pray for safety for her and strength for her. Uh, as well. And we're so thankful for family. Uh, And Lord, I just pray that um, we just have many years to serve together until you come. And Lord, I'm sure of speaking of of Holly, we'd love if you came tonight. Be wonderful, but uh, help us be faithful till you come. So we leave and give Holly into your hands and we pray great grace upon her in Jesus name. Amen. All God's people said. Amen. All right, hope you could hear that, Holly. Uh, all right, tonight uh, we are back in our Life of Messiah study. We are going to be in John chapter number 3. We are looking at one of the early events in the life of the Lord Jesus as he has had his, uh, he's having an evangelistic meeting, if you will, with a leader of the Pharisees, a man by the name of Nicodemus, and they've been discussing what it is to be born again, and we've Looked at what that meant in the Jewish context of the first century, and um, Nicodemus has asked Jesus, "How how can this be? How, how how is this happening?" And Jesus responds back to him, "How how can you not know?" Um, so tonight we're going to pick things up uh, in verse number eleven. Jesus has just said, "Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things?" John 3, verse number 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. So Jesus gives another verily, verily, a truly, truly here. He wants Nicodemus to understand the truth he's given him. But I want you to notice in verse number 11 that Jesus says, We speak that we do know and that we have seen. Now Jesus goes from the singular now to the plural, we. And the question that I would have is who's the we? Anybody got any thoughts tonight? It's Wednesday night. I try to give you sometimes opportunity to jump in here. Uh, uh, Jesus says we. Who's he have in mind here? Any thoughts on that? Pardon me? All right, Mike. Brother Mike says the Trinity, um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think that's probably the, the dominant thought here, Mike, would be that perspective that Jesus is speaking on behalf of the Godhead. Uh, but anybody else, who else might you be able to understand that? We. we, we remember we talked and we're going to see it again. Matter of fact, in the same verse later on, he says, and ye... Remember we talked about that plural. Old English plural. I love it. You clearly know that Jesus is not just saying ye receive not a witness. He's not just talking to Nicodemus, but he's saying ye. We understood clearly the Pharisees. All of Pharisaism. So if, if ye is the Pharisees, who might we be? Anybody? Not the Pharisees. <laughs> Pastor Danny is full of pearls of wisdom. Um And who would not the Pharisees be? The disciples. Thank you, Joe. A godly man with more wisdom and years of experience up there on the front row. Um, some people think as he's talking, you know, in contrast to the Pharisees, that we, Jesus and his disciples, we are saying these things as opposed to what ye are saying. Now, there's one other one that, that some Bible commentaries mention. And by the way, don't get all dogmatic. I don't think the, even in the original language, I can't tell you the Greek would give you one way or the other. I tend to go with uh, Brother Mike's opinion that he think he's speaking deity here. But there, there could be some other thoughts. Anybody else? Who else could he possibly be speaking of Um, when in the beginning of John Jesus or John writes in the beginning was the word Uh, could some people think that when he says we hear that Jesus is bringing alongside him all the teachings that Nicodemus as a Pharisee should have and would have known all the voices of Isaiah and nahum and micah and all the the prophets that we say these things these are the things that you should not you should have known to be able to understand why jesus is here and what he's here to do and jesus understand how do you not know these things and he says yet you don't receive our witness or ye receive not our witness and i love how jesus challenges nicodemus's belief system The only thing Pastor Danny's done good at trying to teach me because I like to argue. My personality type's a little more aggressive at times, and I like to be a little more confrontational at times. Uh, Pastor Danny doesn't want to have an argument. He wants to have a discussion. That's one of his apologetic things. I've been trying to learn this stuff. But I appreciate the way he has a good way, and people who are good in apologetics are good at engaging people without making it so personal and challenging a belief system. And that's what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus here. He's saying, again, the Pharisaic community um, doesn't receive what I have just given you. So that's why in verse number 12, he goes on and says, If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe it if I tell you of heavenly things? He goes on to challenge Nicodemus and his, his worldview. Who, Nicodemus was a smart guy. He goes, Jesus, I've been using earthly ways to communicate to you. He's been using illustrations and things that he wouldn't understand, like being born again and like the wind. And throughout Jesus' teaching, we see some of this. And even the miracles that he did were physical in nature, earthly in nature, and they still didn't believe. But I will say, aren't you glad that God meets us right where we are? Because Jesus says, if I'd have done this from my own comfort level, which would be from a heavenly perspective, if you don't understand the stuff where I'm meeting you right down where you are on the earthly level, uh, what if I told you the ways that come where I come from? And I'm sure Nicodemus, I can imagine what his his what his face was to look like on some of this. But, you know, sometimes I think when it comes to our, our witnessing, um, and I know we were just talking about Brother Kokel's Co- 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 book, uh, the uh, yeah, uh, no, Conversational Evangelism. It Geisler, is that Geisler's book? Um, a good book I read that Pastor Danny had recommended to me. It was good, and it talked about how sometimes when we share our faith, we think we have to use a lot of churchy words. And we live in a culture today that more and more does not understand churchy words. That's why a lot of times with new Christians, they get saved and they clearly understand how they got saved. They understand that Jesus died for them and God's great grace was upon them and offered them forgiveness and eternal life. And they're excited about that. And sometimes one of the worst things that can happen is us taking them through one of our evangelism programs. You know, just go out there and tell them what what God did for you, you know. Now, try not to use any profanity or anything. Try not to do that. (laughs) You know, you're laughing, but (laughs) I've been with some new Christians. But you know what? In some ways, I don't know, they're just telling people what God did for them. You know, he doesn't use, sometimes we go out there and want to use words like atonement and repentance and sanctification, and your average person on the street, uh, they don't know what that means, I'll say, what are you, what what are you talking about? You know, keep it simple. And Jesus says, I did my very best to keep it simple by using earthly things. He goes on in verse 13 and says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man which is in heaven. Now, that's again an interesting verse of scripture here. Um, Jesus tells him that truth or knowing these things did not come from man to God, but came from God to man. Now that is, I, I know, now this is where Pastor Danny liked to part ways. I like the philosophical thing. That's why he and I make a good team. He, he likes the scientific, I don't know, I don't even know the big words you use and the different types of apologetics he does. Um, he gives me names of what I like to do, but I like philosophy, you know, where did truth come from and, and the, the effects that we see on people? You know, how does it go down the line and where does it come from? And uh, think about if you, may, if you choose a statement of belief, what does that statement of belief, if you say you believe that, what does that really mean practically in your life? And Jesus tells them that truth didn't come from man to God, but God to man. Now that is, isn't that total backwards from where your average person you meet today if you go out and talk to people? What is truth? You know, truth, most people think they are going to say truth is whatever you choose to believe it is. You know, I was like say, well, let's jump off this building and say you don't believe in gravity, see what happens. Um, it, it, we as Christians believe there is an ultimate truth that comes down from an ultimate authority being God himself. And our apologetics manager I've mentioned tonight are, we call it Contending for Christ or C4C. One of the things Pastor Danny does talk about on the channel, I think he's got some dedicated ones on this, on this topic about the origin of truth and the origin of morality. You know, there's some folks I, uh, that I have personally discussed it with that just says, well, every, every culture just figures out what truth is. So inside that culture, that's where truth is, you know, and I remember Robbie Zacharias said, uh, wasn't him that said, uh, you know, some, in some cultures they, they, res- they, 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 they like men, in other cultures they eat them, you know, which culture do you want to be in, you know, and he's pointing out the absurdity that in some cultures headhunting is a fine thing, it's part of the lifestyle, does that make it right? And somebody, I would think there's a great gulf there and as Christians and Jesus is reminding him that truth comes from above and ultimately the message of Christ is a heavenly message isn't it and you talk about coming down you know that's we as Christians Christmas is a special thing to us that we recognize that God humbled himself as Philippians 2 says and took upon himself flesh dwelt in the likeness of men. Ugh. That's that's stepping down. I don't know if it were me, if I were going to make that step, I'd say, well, I'm going to enter, make sure I enter in a palace and a rich family, a well-to-do. No, instead he chose a path of humility and was born of a virgin in a barn. But the message was divine. Notice in this verse, if you disagree or don't want if you want to see this interpretation clearly notice in the end he says even the son of man that is not some arbitrary term it's a term Daniel used and Ezekiel used and the Pharisees knew that as a, as a messianic title and so Jesus claiming this title which throughout the gospels you see Jesus use this title for himself the son of man and then he makes the bold statement which is in heaven Present tense, if you go to the Greek there. That's, I don't know, it kind of blows my mind, too. You know, Jesus, I'm talking to you. Truth came from down, from up there, down to here, or not from down here to up there, and that's where the Son of Man is, and yet I am... <laughs> I think he's go, what, what? How can you... how? You, you say you're the son of man, you know, and obviously later on, Jesus, if you read the gospel of John, Jesus makes that, that famous statement that, that the father, he is in the father and the father is in him at the same time, and the Pharisees would not react very kindly to that. Again, I believe Jesus is being really clear here that, that Jesus knew the truth, he knew where it came from, and then on top of that, he claimed deity, and I love as we go on from here that after he's kind of challenged Nicodemus and said, listen, I've given you all this evidence and you still don't believe. I've given you earthly things and you still haven't believed. That when you get to verse 14, that Jesus gives him another illustration of an earthly, an earthly illustration of a heavenly truth. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Were it not for grace? You know, I know, I don't always understand and I, I, I personally believe that the, the presence of God's conviction doesn't come on someone equally at all times and all places, but I believe God's drawing everyone as they want to, and he's drawing them to himself. But I just know that if it weren't for grace, where would I be? And all of us who came and know Christ as Savior are a product of grace, every one of us. So he goes on and demonstrates grace by saying, okay, Nic- Nicodemus, I've given you, all, you know, all this information. You've already seen me do some of these miracles. You saw what happened in the, in the temples and the actions that I took. Now you're, you understand born again. I've showed you that it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. But let me give you one more illustration from something that you ought to know uh, to, to demonstrate what's going on here. In verse 14, he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. So Jesus goes back to an Old Testament story. If you want to know where that's at, it's in Numbers chapter 21. Nicodemus would have known it well. Remember in that story, the people complained about how they felt God was treating them poorly. But I could just go off on Numbers 21. If you read the story, you'll find out that they, they, they said this light bread, they were disrespecting the manna. You know, I said, well, it isn't it just like us? You know, we get saved and God gives us eternal life, forgiveness of our sins. And somehow we as Christians and heaven help. I pray you're not one of those Christians that has a habitual lifestyle of being a complainer, a negative minded person. That is not how God wants us to, be, to live. And um, I believe it'll bring God's judgment in your life personally as a believer. Um, but he, he knew the story that the, the people of God, the, of Israel, complained against what God's provision was, and so um, it came to a point where God somehow i to send judgment, and he sent venomous snakes among them and biting the people, and many of the people died, and then they repented and had a change of mind about how things were going, and then they asked for relief. Now, it's interesting to me, I don't know if you ever thought of this in that story, that God doesn't say, okay, let me take the snakes away. That's, that's not the solution, is it? You know, in our life, sin and the poison of sin, it's all around us, isn't it? Matter of fact, it's coursing within our veins, the sin and death. And so instead, God gives a solution to the venom, a solution to the poison. God tells Moses to put a bronze, make a bronze, uh, which if you know your Bible, it's a metal of judgment, um, a serpent on a pole and lift it up. And anyone who wanted to live, just needed to look upon it. It's simple faith. Do what God said and live. It was grace to provide it and faith to empower it. Now many say even when Jesus says, so shall the Son of Man, again a, a term of deity, so shall the Messiah be lifted up. It is said, I've read by many guys who are smarter than me that believe that the term lifted up and the way Jesus would have said this and did say it would have have, uh, been seen clearly tied to crucifixion. That the Son of Man would be lifted up. And that's why we go on, that connection is there as we move on to verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now Jesus makes a very fluid transfer from this physical story about Moses in the Old Testament, the people being bitten, to a spiritual, uh, eternal story. There's this continuous of thought, that, in, in the first word there, that anyone, I, I don't know how much clearer God could make it, that whosoever believeth in him There's the requirement, which is faith, belief, and the object of our faith that is required, which is on him, on the Son of Man, on the Messiah. And just like the brazen serpent should not perish. If you were bit by the snake and you looked and lived, you were not going to die, but Jesus here then takes it to the spiritual, eternal application, says, but have eternal life. Just like in the Old Testament story, all somebody had to do was look and live. One of my favorite hymns. I don't know, Joe, we do sing it here every now and then, don't we? We do sing look and live, don't we? Maybe we should sing it Sunday. Um, look and live. Oh, brother, look and live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Some of you know that song. Am I, am I alone in here or does anybody else know? You, you know it, don't you, Joe? Mike and Julie, you probably know that. No, you don't know that song, anybody else? Am I alone in this? Some of you know it's okay. All right. I'm glad I'm not alone. See, there'll be about 10 of us that'll sing it if you put it on there. But uh, it, as a hymn goes, it's one of the most theologically sound hymns in the hymn book. It, 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 it's full of truth. Look and live. Matter of fact, in our hymn book, if you haven't it there, it's on page because uh, I looked it up three hundred fifty-two. In your hymn book, if you have one of those Magic Music ones, um, but Jesus is answering, and don't forget the overriding context of this whole conversation that we found in the first three verses is when Jesus tells him you have to be born again, which led to this whole conversation, and Jesus is answering this question. And Jesus tells him, you're not just going to receive temporal life, but eternal life. He's using that Old Testament picture, Old Testament story, as a lesser picture, a lesser truth of a greater truth. In the Old Testament story, it was about saving temporal lives of the Israelites. Jesus says, I am here, the Messiah is here, to be lifted up on a pole and die, to offer eternal life to the whole world. Do you see it? It's an amazing the way he expounds this. This is why as we move into, you know, what I would call, you know, the, all the scriptures is holy ground. But boy, if there's a holy, holy of holies in the scriptures, is, you know, if you want an epicenter or the focal point section or sentences in all the Bible, you'd look hard to argue it's not John 3.16. And I hope tonight, and if you've been watching this, that as we've laid this groundwork of this conversation that happened all at one time, we've taken several weeks, but it happened in on one occasion, that Jesus is bringing this to a point, to a focal point, and here it is. The reason for the whole Bible, the plan of God from the uh, before the time began, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life in light of the all this information about the new birth and where truth comes from and and using moses as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so the people had to look and live jesus says just like that nicodemus but he said i want you to understand that this motivation unlike Moses in the wilderness where God was, was you know had, had his purposes just for temporal healing here out of love for the whole world he sent his only son and again he gives the only requirements to receive eternal life very clear that whosoever believeth in him the son of God the son of man the Messiah pretty simple isn't it Pretty simple. And yet on the other side of the coin, there's not enough words in the English language or in any language to explain the depth and width of the gift of eternal life. I think of Ephesians chapter 3 where he talks about that we can't comprehend the breadth and the the width and the depth of the love of God that's wrapped up in what Jesus did for us. It's... Amazing. On one hand, it's so simple that a child can understand. And yet, those of us who have known the Lord and we try to look and try our best to comprehend what's going on here, that there, there's never an end to the depth of what God did for all of humanity and then personally did for me. Now I'm going to be a little controversial here, it really isn't, but unfortunately, probably what I'm gonna about to say is controversial. But, oh well, you guys know I kind of like that a little bit. I wrote in my notes, I reject any theology that says we must add any other element to what is given here. Let me say that again, I reject any theology that says we must add any other element to what is given here. The whole story of Jesus dealing with Nicodemus is to explain the new birth. It's the whole point of the conversation and it culminates right here. If more was needed to get to heaven than what is given here in John 3.16, then Jesus would have said so. That's the whole point he's having the conversation. It's not some theological treatise on some portion of how it happens, but it's how it happens. And if Jesus should have given more to make it happen to Nicodemus, it means that Jesus gave an incomplete gospel presentation. You can tell him that. I'm not telling him that. I think he did a pretty good job. John three sixteen has been all around the world to this very day. There's no mention of baptism, no mem- church membership or good works. So oh, I'm going to go and step on that thing. You do not see the word repent here at all. I know I'm getting a bunch of people mad. Ooh. Here, I'll make you madder. Do you know the word repentance is not used one time in the entirety of the Gospel of John? Not once. Zippo. Now, unfortunately, if I can just take a break there, there's a a lot of theological discussion today and argumentation about what the word repentance means. I personally believe people have taken a run with it a lot farther than it should. I happen to be one of these guys, you look at it in the Greek, it's metanoia, it's a Greek word, it's a compound word, it means with the mind. I'm one of these guys that believes that repentance and its basic meaning is to change the mind. Jesus says all you need to do here is simple faith and belief. Now, in Nicodemus, where he was living his life in Pharisaism that was teaching, you're Jewish, you're good. You automatically get into heaven. And Jesus says, No, <laughs> no, you ain't getting into heaven with just that, theology so he was challenging Nicodemus to change his mind and thereby to repent from the wrong thinking and I would say today if somebody that's what I believe someone has to do repentance and salvation only in so far is you have to change your mind about anything you think is keeping you from or, or why you can't go to heaven you better change your mind about that and realize that Jesus alone the Messiah alone and faith alone in him is the only way but today unfortunately Salvation in most radio shows and TV people you're going to hear, it's always about how before you can get saved, you've got to change your life. You've got to stop doing something and if you stop doing something just long enough, maybe Jesus will give you eternal life. I just do not find that theologically present in John 3.16 at all. It's simple faith in the Messiah. And and for folks that want to complicate this, I just say, I think Jesus made it as clear as can in verse 14 in his illustration as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness They they didn't say, hey, before you get into where the pole is, will you promise to be nicer to your wife and your kids? Will you promise to stop getting angry? I I don't read any of that. He just stuck it up and said, it's in the middle of the camp. If you don't want to die, (laughs) go check it out. All you got to do is look and live. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God made it that simple. So thankful. That's why when you understand the right theology, we have some really good news. People say, I've been accused of this. Well, you're teaching and the people can live however they want. Well, ultimately, yeah. You can, you can choose to live whether you're saved or unsaved. God's still giving you an era of free, free choice. Even after you're saved, you still have the will. Sometimes it's not so good. But what I will tell you, you can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences. <laughs> you know, and so, and if you're a child of God and you just go out there and do whatever you want to do, I don't recommend, I've done it. I don't recommend it because, um, you know, the Lord has a way of getting your attention. And sometimes it's painful um, so no, I don't. I don't believe that. And yet I know that, in my understanding of Scripture, I choose to serve and motivated primarily out of love. And then I want to. I, I think the Bible tells believers to run the race with the prize in mind. And I want to run faithfully. And someday in heaven, the, the Lord say you, you you did a good job. And um, but salvation itself is look and live. Don't have to change what you do before you get it. Doesn't mean you have to do anything necessarily afterwards. It just means if you got the poison and you don't want to die, if you you recognize you're a sinner, and that sin is going to send you to an eternity separated from God, and you choose, you don't want to have an eternal death, you can be offered life. Jesus was hung on a pole, and he died on that cross, and he rose again, and now you can look to the Son of God, the Messiah, and you can look and live. Simple. Now, it's interesting, Dr. Frutenbaum ends this section in his notes illustrating about salvation and mentioning first he talks about how God does his part you know God's the initiator of salvation sometimes my Calvinist friends they, they, they come at me and say well you don't believe that God has to you know we believe that God draws the elect and you know you people believe that anybody can just decide no we I don't none of us I know nobody I studied under I don't just believe that if it weren't for God salvation's of God the Bible's good that he's the one that, if it weren't for God, we'd just keep doing our own thing our own way, but God. And his love is so strong that he desires that all men, and so I believe he's got a, 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 a draw to everyone. As Jesus said, if I be lifted up, same terminology, I'll draw all men to myself. That, that there's, this, there's this love and draw of God all around the world. And, you know, I know Jim, see Brother Jim, we have a, one of our missionaries here tonight, served a lot of years in Romania. God's drawn people in Romania, isn't he? They speak Romanian, they have a whole different culture, but guess what? They still understand, know they're sinners, they know they've done wrong, they know that they're going to stand in judgment to somebody someday, and then someone like Jim comes along and tells them what Jesus did for them, and you know what? Whether it's in Romania or Prattville, Alabama, same message. And people want it, and people need it. We just got to give it, and God does the first part, and then Dr. Fruitenbaum mentions then man must do his part. God comes up with a plan, initiates the plan, does the plan, and then he offers it. And you and I have to do our part, which is receive it by simple faith. In other words, it's not enough just to say, well, as Moses say, hey, there's a serpent that we put a pole, hey, don't worry about it, it's there, it'll work, you don't need to go there, it's there, it's done. No, <laughs> if the people wanted the healing, they had to go receive it. If you want eternal life, God is offering it to anybody, whosoever will, as the Bible calls it, a free gift, you just by faith have to receive the gift. Just look and live. Now, Dr. Frutenbaum ends this with an interesting thing that I found um, where he, he ends this section of his study in his unabridged studies, and he talks about how in Jewish history that the, the truth of what was being Jesus was being taught here, how they viewed Numbers 21 in the story of the Moses putting the serpent on the pole and being healed is, is recorded in a lot of places, in, in one in particular in the Targums. Does anybody know what a Targum is? The Jewish Targums? You know, that's, that's not the Talmud, but that's different. What's that, Matt? Pastor Danny does? Pastor Danny does. He knows all the Targums? Um, the Targums are Jewish Aramaic translations of the books of the Hebrew Bible. Um, it's a genre that combines literal renderings of the biblical text with like paraphrases and additional material. Sometimes it's just a few words. It's Almost like maybe you today have a, a study Bible combined with today when you get a Bible, you can have real a real Bible that's a literal translation, or you can have what I would call a nice story Bible like the, the Living Bible, and which is a paraphrase deal. They're, they're separate and distinct, and it's kind of like a mild commentary mixed with a paraphrase of the of the Old Testament scriptures most of the, the targums are written from early in the 1st century all the way through the 7th century. So these would have been common even in Jesus' day. And I half wonder some of the things Jesus said. He has these targums in mind. And the Pentateuch, in other words, the first five books, have three uh, targums of complete, of the first five books of the Bible. And uh, the one that, I'm, that Dr. Frutenbaum references is the pseudo-Jonathan targum, if those of you who are really into that kind of stuff uh, will understand. And I just thought it was interesting. Remember how I told you about John one one in the beginning was the word. Um, the, the Hebrew word for word is memra. All right. Keep that in mind. I'm going to read to you to close tonight. I'm going to read to you out of a Targum from uh, Pseudo Jonathan and show you how even throughout Jewish history, the insight of understanding what was required was really there all along. It says this. It says the snakes would bite the people who grumbled against their food. So the Lord's Memra, the Lord's Word, isn't that amazing? The Lord's Word let loose against the people, the venomous serpents, and they bit the people, and great numbers from Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned and we have complained and talked against the glory of the Lord Shekinah and and quarreled with you. Pray before the Lord that He remove the serpent's plague from us. So Moses prayed on behalf of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Make for yourself a venomous bronze serpent and put it in a place aloft. Then it shall be that all whom the serpent bites, when they look at it, shall live, if his heart pays attention to the name of the Memra of the Lord." Ooh, isn't that good? So Moses made a bronze serpent and placed it in a place aloft and it was whenever the serpent bit a man and he was looking at the bronze serpent and his heart was paying attention to the, mem- to the name of the memra of the Lord. Then he lived. That's, that's rabbinic writings. It's like Jesus looking at Nicodemus saying it's right there Nicodemus. Why don't you see it? that all you have to do is look on the memra, the word, the living word, the Messiah, and live. I pray for you here tonight, watch online, you don't know you're on your way to heaven, my dear friend, Jesus paid it all. He simply says, would you believe on me for everlasting life, realizing that your sin has separated you, and that he freely offers you the free gift of eternal life, would you receive it tonight? Well, that's John three sixteen in context. Um, I hope that it gives you some more of an appreciation. We're going to pick things up on that uh, next week, moving on uh, th- through the passage as we finish this conversation between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, all right? All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the teaching of your word tonight. Lord, I'm so thankful for the simple plan of salvation. Uh, I am so thankful that you, you made it so simple that a child can understand it, for as you know, um, I, I turn to you as a child. And uh, Lord, I'm so thankful... Um, for the privilege of serving you and for knowing that heaven is my home. God, I pray for each individual person here tonight. May we who are your children be reminded of our responsibility to share the good news and uh, lift your name up on high and introduce you to folks around to a world that really is in desperate need of a relationship with you. So bless this time as we go our separate ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Any announcements, uh, Jen or Pastor Danny, that I need?